morning, friends. Hope everyone is doing well today. What a great blessing it is for us to be able to walk into a room and sing truths that refresh our soul. Uh, as we continue in life, uh, we walk in these doors and many times we leave our burdens on the outside. We come in, we get full, and as soon as we leave, we, we place them back upon our shoulders. Uh, but God has blessed us uh, with a family in this place that we can come and we can sing these truths. We can share the burdens of our life and we can let them go and let God restore. And so today is a new day. Today God's mercies are made new. Today we can find a confidence in what we just sang. That we have a king who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the foundation for us to build our lives upon. The foundation for which we can find confidence. And so starting off today we are blessed indeed. If you walk out of this place today, and if you go through your day, and you remember nothing else, recognize that we are a favored people. We are a people that a king was willing to pay the ultimate price so that you, cannot, you and I would be in fellowship with him. That you and I would be provided for. That you and I would be protected and led. We have confidence because of who he is. If you've joined us over the course of the last few weeks, uh, you remember we've been going through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, many of you might be going, holy moly, that is the most depressing book I have ever heard in my life. Right? Uh, King Solomon, uh, in his generosity, has shared with us uh, that everything in life seems as though it is in vanity. It seems that it is like a vapor, a mist clenched in our fists that when we open it is simply gone. See, King Solomon was one that owned everything. There is nothing that the man needed. Uh, he had everything to his disposable. He was rich. He was full of wisdom. He uh, was reigner over many lands. Solomon was in need of nothing. Yet, he was able to share his perception and perspective of life. You see, he had been given monetary reward. Um, he, had, he had conquered lands. Uh, he had armies. Uh, there was relationship upon relationship uh, that Solomon held. And yet in his experience, he, he said, it's all in vain. You can give me anything that this world has to offer, but I'm still not satisfied. You can give me anything that this world has to offer, and I'm still hurting. I'm still longing for something more. And so this morning, we're going to take a time out for just a moment. We have gone through uh, roughly six weeks of us hearing over and over that the pursuit of finances are in vain. The pursuit of relationships are in vain. The pursuit of any and everything that you can think of are all in vain. But today, I just want us to take a time out. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And we're going to glean from the perspective of the Apostle Paul, the teaching of the Apostle Paul, so that we can, for just a moment, remember the reason that God has created us. You see, oftentimes when we think about life and every morning when we wake up, we start pursuing things to fix the hurts that are in our life, to appease the longings and the desires that we have within our flesh. When we concentrate on those things, it's a never-ending battle. It steals away from our joy. It steals away from our ability to find confidence. But we have a good king. We have a father who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this morning as we dive into Romans chapter 12, I want to open up with a word of prayer. 
and ask that God would meet us in this place so that he would draw our hearts towards him so that today our focus would no longer be on what's around us but be on the king. Our eyes would be on the prize. Our eyes would be on the one who is to receive all glory and honor in this life, King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the great gift that you have given us today. Lord, I know that there are many who are walking in this room that are carrying heavy burdens. Lord, this week may have been a tough week in so many different capacities. Lord, there are many who are in this room who may have come off of a wonderful week. And they are on the mountain peaks with you, Lord. But Father, no matter where we are, we know that you are everywhere. Father, we know that you are the one who holds us in your hands. You have created us in your image for great purpose. And so, Father, this morning we come in a place of being humble. We ask that you would meet us here. Lord, as we open up your word, that your word being truth would speak into our hearts. God, that it would shape us to look more into the image of our King. We pray, Lord, that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. God, that you would be in these words. These words would be alive. God, it would would go through our ears and into our souls. God, that we would not merely hear these words and walk away. But, Father, that we would put these things into action. So, Father, we thank you for those who have come before us, like the Apostle Paul. A man who walked in hardships and walked in a tough place, yet you called him to transformation. God, today you call us into a similar place. Lord, we know that all that the world has to offer is in vain. But Lord, we know that what you have given us is eternal and will never rust or be cast away. And so, Lord, we pray that today we would build our confidence upon who you are and what you have claimed as truth. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And the Apostle Paul has been encouraging both believers and unbelievers. He's been encouraging both Jewish and Gentile people that God is a God who is a God of unity. He is not a God of, di- of div- um, division. He is one that unifies. He is a God of every tongue, tribe, and nation. There is none that He has not created. And He has called the Gentiles. They are grafted in with the Jews, the people of promise. And God is telling them, hey guys, let's unify in our mission and in our purpose. And so because of that, there is something that you and I as individuals, as well as those who have gone before us, had to be focused in on. And it was this, is that we are called to be a living sacrifice. We are called to be a people who are willing to surrender and lay our lives down for a greater purpose. So let's read. We're going to go uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to go back and we're going to tap the brakes just a little bit. And we're going to hash out what God is actually saying in these verses. It says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The Apostle Paul is sending an urgent plea. When we say an appeal, he is calling out. He's, it's almost like we are in court and they've made a decision. And he's saying, hey, reverse the decision. Because you guys have been called into a place of unity and into a place of purpose, I appeal to you. I urge you, brothers and sisters in Christ, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, oftentimes in our life when we think about sacrifice, we, we automatically think death. Um, I know for me, uh, when, when I think sacrifice, I think about movies like Indiana Jones. Right, where, where they're looking for a virgin that they, can, that they can sacrifice on the altar so that the gods can be appeased. Something like that. But here we're talking about a sacrifice that is living. A sacrifice based upon something. When we read in Scripture, it says, when you ever, it says, therefore, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore? Right? Um, he says, I appeal to you, I urge you, therefore... Okay, well, what's he alluding to? If you go into chapter 11, verse 36, it gives us exactly what he's saying. That is going to be the foundation from which we build our lesson today. It says this, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's talking about the God of all creation. It's talking about the very God who has created you and me as well as them. It's the God that is the holder of all things. He, he keeps it in motion. He has the provider and the protector from that. For from God, all things have been given to us. Through God, He continues <coughs> to give, and it's all for His glory. He is the supply, and He is the source, and He is the rightful recipient of everything that He has created. He has the one that has created you and I in his image, and he's calling his people. Hey, you guys, in unity, you walk forward in the purpose that I have created you. I appeal to you. I urge you, brothers, because of the great mercy that God has given. You know, see, many times in our culture, we focus in on the grace of God. We focus on the gifts that we receive because of the great sacrifice that King Jesus has made. We think about the new life that we have been given. We think about the liberty and the freedom that we have given. We've been thinking about the wonderful rewards of heaven that we receive because of the great price and debt that Jesus paid. But very often we forget the fact that God's mercy is powerful as well. You see, the reality is, is this, is that you and I left to our own devices, we deserve death. But because of God's great mercy, because He has given us that which we do not deserve, He has relinquished the, 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 the punishment for what we deserve. We have been given His mercies. Because of the mercies that we don't deserve, in light of that, in response to that, we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. We are to present ourselves in the service of the King. Because all things are from Him, all things are through Him, and all things are to Him. 
And so if you have notes this morning, the first point that we're going to make is a willful surrender. When God calls us to be living sacrifices, He calls us to a place of willful surrender. If we think about it, many of us, we uh, tend to be lords of our own life. We put ourselves upon the, thank you, put ourselves upon the throne of our own hearts. And when we do that, there's no room for King Jesus to rule as king. So the things that we have given, oftentimes we take the rewards of what has been given in the way of, of grace, in the way of salvation, but we are often so close-fisted with the things that God has given us, and we're saying, okay, I'm going to take, but I'm not going to give. You see, what I have learned is that uh, in the place of sacrifice, God calls us to a place of, of preparation. You know, we, we often think about death. Uh, with a way of sacrifice that people bring to an altar uh, these animals that are to pay uh, over or cover over the sins of the people. But there's even more going on than simply bringing a spotless lamb or a bird uh, as a, a gift offering up to God on, uh, in response to your sin, to, to pay retribution for the things that uh, you have done. It's so much more than the mere death of an animal. God calls us to be prepared in the way that we bring ourselves. If we're being called to be a living sacrifice, what is it that we're doing in preparation to present ourselves before a holy God? I learned something very valuable uh, yesterday. How many of you in the room are, are fans of barbecue? Yeah. Barbecue's like politics. Um, it can get pretty ugly when you start arguing which is the best barbecue, right? Western Carolina, Eastern Carolina, Kansas, like you, you, know, you name it. And so uh, for that sake... Uh, I won't get into the fight and match. However, uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of actually watching a, a pig be cooked. Um, you know, uh, growing up in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, barbecue was always Parker's Barbecue and Bee's Barbecue for me. Um, to me, there is no better. And so if I had to take a stand, I'd stand on that place. Now, however, uh, I'm a fan of food in general, right? Uh, I, I just like to eat. And so if you bring me a barbecue from Western Carolina, it's going to be good barbecue. I'm not going to... I'm not going to fight with you on that. But here's the thing. Uh, growing up, whenever we went to eat barbecue, I just simply went into a restaurant and I sat down at the table and all of a sudden this amazing uh, yummy yumminess just appeared in front of me um, and I never once assumed the process by which this barbecue had been created, right? Um, I simply sat down. I, I was able to eat my meal and I was like, man, I'm very grateful for that wonderful, delicious barbecue. However... Um, there is quite the process that has to happen in order uh, for the barbecue to appear at my table. You know, uh, we have countless pigs that have given their lives on our behalf um, for, the, for the barbecue and the bacon, right? Like, praise the Lord for those things. But I've never considered that once a pig is, is killed, the, the process by which you have to go to prepare it. They, they split the pig, they, they put it on a grill, they, they slather it up with, with oil, and, uh, and, they, and they put um, seasoning on it. And then you got to flip it after a little while because you don't want it to get sunburned. And then they flip the pig, and, and uh, you know, a number of hours later, it is amazing how this pig tastes. You know, many times in, in our lives we treat what God calls us to do as servants of our King to be a living sacrifice. We treat it as though we're walking into a restaurant and we're waiting to be served. We don't think about the preparation that it takes in order for us to sit down and to enjoy all of the blessings that has been laid before us. You see, there is a preparation that you and I must go through 
as we are offering ourselves up to God as a living sacrifice? Where are our hearts and where are our minds? What have we lent them to? Are they in holy places? If we were to go before God, would he say it's a worthy endeavor? Is it costing us anything? Or are we walking in life in a place of comfort, never once giving a recognition to what God has done on behalf of you and me? We deserve death. Based on Adam and Eve's very beginning in the garden, like we have seen from culture to culture and from time to time, generation to generation, that sin is prevalent in our world. But the mercies of God has allowed us to live. By the mercies of God, we have been given a new and renewed life. The question is, is what are we willing to give in response to what has already been given? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It indicates that there is personal preparation and sacrifice that is involved. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be prepared to fulfill the purpose for which you have been created. Many of us look in the mirror and we see no value in what we see. Many of us go to our jobs in a mundane state not recognizing that even in the midst of our jobs God can use us to do great things. Even in the midst of our circumstances that absolutely stink, in the middle of sickness, in the middle of relational issues, God is working and refining us in those moments. But many of us would rather run to a place of ease. We'd rather turn the heat down a little bit so that we can be comfortable. But God doesn't call us to comfort. He calls us to obedience. And God has called us to be a living sacrifice, meaning it's not a one and done. Like, we don't die once to self and say, God, you got it from here. I'm going back to my old lifestyle, but now I get to wear the robe of eternal glory. That's not the deal. God's mercies are made new every morning for a reason. It's because every day we need them. Every day God calls us to be a living sacrifice in every moment. We are to put Him first and we are to surrender our rights to the one who technically owns the rights to our lives. For all things are from Him. He's the creator that put everything into motion. All the capacities within your being, all the giftings, all the passions, all the talents, they're God's. They weren't placed there by mistake. God desires that we use those things to glorify His holy name in this life. But not only that, to change culture. Do you believe that when a people of God unify what Paul is calling us to, to come to a place of a unity, a community of living sacrifices, do you believe that it can change the world? Because what we need is a body of people who believe that when God calls us to be living sacrifices, that we are willing to you, you, together lay ourselves down and allow Him to do what He says that He can and will do. He will advance the kingdom of God if His people will merely walk into a place of obedience and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. When we present our bodies, we're giving God something physically. We're saying, God, here I am, send me. What I have in the way of my talents, what I have in the way of my resources, what I have in the way of my relationships, and everything, Father, that you have blessed and put into my path, God, they're yours. But here's the two biggest enemies that we run into when we're talking about being living sacrifices, talking about laying our lives down for a king. The two biggest enemies are complacency and comfort. 
Too many times when we get into a place where we're just going to stay in the routine. Hey, man, I'm in a comfortable place. I get up on Monday morning, I go to work, I come home, I play with my kids, I have dinner, I watch uh, trading places, and then uh, I, I go to bed. And I do that Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday, Saturday I rest, Sunday I get up, go to church, check the box off, start Monday over again. We get complacent and we get comfortable. But God doesn't call us to a place of comfort. God calls us to a place of advancement. God calls us to be a people who are willing to lay down the rights of our lives, to invest the things He's given back into the growth of His kingdom and comfort. Many of us are guilty, myself included, of sometimes wanting to say, my four and no more. The people who are in my home are the ones that I'm going to disciple. And I'm not going to care about my neighbor. I'm not going to care about the lost young lady I just walked by in the mall. I'm not going to care about the, the person who's working hard to fulfill my order at Subway. We often are blinded to those things because we're too comfortable. But God hasn't called us to be comfortable. He's called us to be a living sacrifice. Now, this sounds as depressing as Ecclesiastes. But it's not. Why? Because all things are from God, and all things are through God, and all things are for God, including you and me. He makes no mistakes. We have been given a divine purpose, and He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He has given us everything that we need for godliness and for life if we're willing to receive those things. Again, preparation. We prepare the sacrifice because we lay ourselves bare before our King and say, Father, I'm hungry, feed me. Father, I need to be in the fellowship of believers. I need to be championed. I need to walk life with other people. But sometimes we run and we sit in corners and we isolate ourselves so that the enemy can have easy pickings. But God has called us to bigger things. He's not called us to be complacent. He's not called us to be comfortable. You know, King David was offered an opportunity. He was looking for a place to, to be able to worship God, an altar that he could bring a sacrifice. And this fella came to him and wanted to essentially donate an altar to King David. And King David's response was this. He said, I will not bring an offering that costs me nothing. He refused to bring an easy offering. And that's what sometimes we are guilty of doing. Many times we bring God our leftovers. When God simply wants our best, like, well, man, I, I don't have any margin in my life to give you my best. It's not about your best. God's not in need of your offering. God himself said that he was getting sick of sacrifices in the Old Testament. He was getting sick of the, the people's half-hearted sacrifices. What God wanted was obedience. What God wanted was their heart. He wanted their trust. You see, he wants us to receive his blessings with open hands. And he wants us to give his blessings with open hands. All that God has given is not ours. It's his to be used through us and given back for his glory, for the advancement of his kingdom. So may we too, like King David, say, I refuse to bring a sacrifice that costs me nothing. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. God said, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Bring a half-hearted sacrifice in the way of finances. Bring a half-hearted sacrifice in the way of your talents and your passions. Bring a half-hearted sacrifice in the way that we engage our culture and we glean nothing. There will be no fruit 
produced. Because God only wants our obedience. He doesn't need the sacrifice. But it's a matter of our heart. Where are our hearts invested? Are we investing them in things that will bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Or are we investing them in things that will bear rotten fruit for our own kingdom? You so many times we are putting our trust into things that are essentially a big life buoy with a hole in it. We're holding on to functional saviors that as, as we are continuing to hang on, the life buoy is getting smaller and smaller and we're working. We're blowing back in that bad boy so that tomorrow we can start doing the whole process over again when all God says is right here I am. I'm a strong tower. <laughs> Lean on me. Do you need the strength to be a living sacrifice? All things are from God. They're through God. And therefore, God's glory, He's given it to us. We must not be content with giving God leftovers. That means so little to us, and that mean even less to Him. And so, we are drawn to a willful surrender. Secondly, we are drawn to a wonderful change. We are drawn to a wonderful change. In verse 2, it says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. I'm, I tend to be a, a, a visual uh, learner. Um, I, I learn by... Um, illustrations and things like that. And this week with Toy Story uh, coming out, um, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk a little bit um, with toys. And so um, what I have here is Play-Doh, right? How many of you in this room have ever played with Play-Doh? Most everybody, right? Play-Doh was created in 1955. Uh, it's older than a lot of us uh, in this room. However, it has uh, taken a lot of time and um, people have uh, been blessed by Play-Doh through the years. This particular can of Play-Doh is a minimum of six and a half years old. Uh, the reason I know that is because I found it in my office closet and I've never opened it. Um, however, um, due to its airtight container, um, the Play-Doh is still very pliable and easy to be uh, manipulated. And so the amazing thing with Play-Doh is based on uh, the person who is working in the Play-Doh, you can form it to a number of various things depending on what you want to do. You can even get um, two or three or multiple uh, cans of Play-Doh and mix them. For you OCD people, I know that's like torture, right? Oh my God, there's green in my orange Play-Doh! Right? But... A lot of times, uh, we talk about conformity. And in my mind, when I, when I think conformity, it brings up the illustration of Play-Doh because what happens is the pressure that is put on the Play-Doh allows that to be manipulated or be shaped as the user desires to manipulate it. You see, it's talking about not to be conformed to the world, not to allow the world to press in on you to where you're looking more like the world than you are the very king who created you in his own image. right? And so what does that look like? Who are the people that we're hanging out in this world that are causing us to keep our minds and our hearts focused on something that's simply not godly? Where are our hearts, or our, our eyes and our ears and our, and our minds and our hearts going um, that is not territory that God ever meant for you to be in? Relationships, entertainment, you name it, there's all kinds of things that are simply conforming us to look more like the world. Because here's the deal, there's a battle going on for your heart. 
We feel the tension that is going on in the spiritual. There's an enemy who would like nothing more than to steal you away from the very king and the very purpose of which you have been created. Now, I'm somewhat of a Picasso uh, in the way of um, Plato. Um, let's see. Oh, I broke. What would you say that this is? This is. I was going for a shoestring. Okay. Um, no, but that, that is us. Now, here's also the deal. If we leave Plato, the, the lid open, what does it do? It dries out, doesn't it? Uh, its usefulness uh, becomes squandered, right? Uh, God never intended us to keep our lives within an airtight container. He has created us for something so much more. Uh, we are not to be manipulated or shaped by the world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. From the inside out, God has called us to something so much, so much more. And so I'd like to introduce another friend of mine. Um, this is Optimus Prime. Uh, I recognize that it's not the actual Transformer. However, Optimus Prime is the leader of the Autobots. Uh, uh, foe of the Decepticons, and the uh, Transformers, uh, 1984-ish, I believe, is when the Transformers began. Uh, they had a cartoon. You've seen a number of their movies. Their toy uh, series is, is insanely popular still today. Uh, they're not made as good as they were in 84, I can speak from experience, but anyway, they're, um, they're, they're outstanding toys. And the cool thing about Transformers is um, they had a really cool song. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Transformers, robots in disguise. That's right. Right, Transformers were awesome. Like, he was a transfer truck. Not all the time. He transformed and he became leader of the Autobots. There was a deep transformation. There was a change within him that ended up uh, going from a transfer truck over to a robot. Like, it doesn't look the same. So we talk about being conformed to the world, but God has called us to a place of transformation. The word transform means to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. You see, our character and the way that we engage with culture, the way that we engage <coughs> with one another, <coughs> can greatly be influenced and conformed to the world. Or... We can allow God to work within ourselves to transform us to be made more into the image of Him. By His, our character and our appearance, in the very way that we engage, God changes. He transforms us. He makes us anew. So the outward transformation is achieved through an inward change. You see, when we have surrendered our life to our King and we said, Hey, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. It is evidence of an inward change that ends up working its way out. As we become more intimate and get to know our Father more, the, the outward displays what's going on in the inward. Are we putting so much of the world inside of our heart that what comes out looks like the world? To where if the world looks at you, you look no different than the person who was running and gunning and gangbanging, doing and stuff that they shouldn't be doing? Or are we... Putting God in, and as it's marinating in our heart, and as God is maturing that, and it's causing it to grow, are we starting to see changes in our families? Are we starting to see changes in the way that we respond to kids acting a fool? Like, are we, are we uh, seeing changes in the way that we perceive outside stimuli in our life? 
How in the world can we do that, Jason? My circumstances stink. All things are from God. All things are through God. And all things are for God. He wastes nothing. Even amidst of our hard circumstances and the trials and burdens of our life, God wastes nothing. He accomplishes what He desires to accomplish. We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the very way that we process and receive information. We are living it out for King. Because He wants to make us a perfect sacrifice. Here's what I know of our life. I don't know that I'll ever fully reach perfection this side of heaven. Uh, I can speak for myself, and I'm sure many of you, if we were to go around the room, would say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I got my issues. But God has called us to a place of perfection. So it implies the idea of being made complete. Being everything it should be. See, God created us in the very beginning with a very important purpose. It was to worship and obey Him, to glorify Him in all that He had created. And God desires that we fulfill that purpose. It is God that is working in our lives day by day to bring us to a place of completion. It's hard because none of us are perfect. It's hard because many of us will fail. All of us will fail. But the blessing is, is that all things are from God. And He is the source. He is the supply. He is the one that will give us everything we need for life and godliness. So praise the Lord that He has given us that promise and He has given us that reminder. And that the Apostle Paul was calling God's people to remember, you are called to greater things, even though it doesn't make sense. We think of sacrifice, we think of surrender, we think weakness. I'm convinced from my walk in Christ and my years of experience that there is no stronger word in the economy of Christianity than the word surrender. When we can come to a place and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, even in the midst of the storm, you are still God. Surrender is strength when it's in Christ. So God has brought us to a place of willful surrender. He's brought us to a place of wonderful change. He's also, thirdly, given us a wisdom from above. God has given us a discernment and wisdom as we lay ourselves down and ask that God would renew our minds, make our minds and our hearts align with His truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, like the song we sang. When our hearts align with His truth, He gives us discernment. And it says clearly in the Scriptures that by testing you may discern the will of God. It's not that just God automatically gives us the discernment. We walk by fire sometimes. We walk in the midst of furnace and situations that we would rather not walk through, but God is refining us in the midst of those things. He's taking hardened places in our hearts that He deems uh, uh, un, unclean and unworthy. He works in those places to remove those things so that we can be made malleable, that we can be shaped into His image, that by testing you may discern the will of God. But here's three things I want you to remember, and I want you to write them down because we all need to be reminded of this. Because you will have bad days. Guarantee when you leave here this week, you're going to run into a hindrance, a roadblock, something that's going to frustrate you. 
The will of God is not based on first, it's not based on emotion. Oftentimes we get into situations or relationships or conversations and we take, we, we take things personally. I do. Uh, I have yet to develop the water on a duck's back scenario that was like one of the first things people told me as a pastor. You better develop a duck's back so that it'll just roll off. When we respond out of emotion and when we respond in service to God out of emotion, it's not out of God's guiding many times. It misconstrues or, or messes up proper perspective. We tend to take ourselves out of things that God is calling us towards because of emotion. The will of God is not based on our circumstances. And thirdly, the will of God is not based on preference. God doesn't call us based on our emotions, on our circumstances, or on our preference. The reason I say this this morning is because the reality is this, is that there are churches closing all across this great nation and around the world. Because people don't prefer a certain carpet color. Because people don't prefer a certain Bible study. Because a conversation rubbed them the wrong way and they allowed their emotions to drive a decision. Well, that's not God's will for me to be at that place. I can't be used there. I'm, I'm going to go, uh, me and take me and my talents, we're going to go down to this other church because they got blue carpet. We tend to make decisions based on preferences, things that are not of God in the first place, but it helps us to feel comfortable, helps us to feel real nice. But if we will make the first thing and the most important thing the goal, then we will not lose sight of what God has called us to. When we are coming into a place of worship, when we are coming into a place of service in the community, the reason that I say this is as, as a planter of a church who will be reaching a lost and dying generation, and as we are raising up leaders, <laughs> may it never be that we stand before our God and say, I wanted to be comfortable and I was unwilling to sacrifice anything so that the lost could come to know you. Based on my emotions, because I was hurt, my feelings were hurt. Based on circumstances that were tough. Here's the reality, folks. There's a lot of people going through a lot of junk in this world. You're not alone. <laughs> and that's why God in His great mercies and in His great grace has called the body of Christ to be united. Because we are a people who walk together. When there's one in the valley, we pull them up. We fall down, but we get up because God knows what He's doing. He's equipped us with people to walk this journey on. Our preferences and our circumstances and our emotions must take a back seat to where God is calling us. If we continue in life in a place of comfort, if we continue in life in a place of complacency, the very purpose for which God has created us, He'll accomplish it. But we will take a blessing from ourselves, not allowing ourselves to be a part of it. There's no greater joy that I have experienced, and I think where Solomon is heading, 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying this. There's no greater joy than to be in the presence and the service of my God. You can try to fill it in any way that you want to. You can hold on to your finances, to your talents, to your resources, to your friendships, to whatever it is. You can hold on to it with clenched fists, but God is greater. And so we've been called to a place of willful surrender, a place of wonderful change. We've been given a wisdom from above. And then lastly, wholly diverse. W-H-O-L-L-Y. God has allowed us to be a wholly diverse people. We talked about the great mercy that God has given us. And it says here, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God, in his amazing sovereign wisdom, has allowed us in his amazing way of creating diversity. He has called us to a place of unity in his message and a commitment but he has called us to a place of diversity and service. As we look across this room, we don't look alike, right? As we look across the landscape of our nation and around the world, there are a lot of people, but there's only one you. But God in his amazing creation has called us all to be unique and to use the unique ways in which he has created us in a commitment and in unity in the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance the gospel through diversity. Every tongue, tribe, and nation is called to join into this mission. There are no divisive barriers in the economy of God. He has called us to go. He has called us to reach those around us. He has called us to love our neighbor. So how can we achieve absolute usefulness as we are coming as living sacrifices, sacrifices that are daily saying, not my will but yours be done. God, let your way be the truth. Here's how we achieve absolute usefulness. Number one, proper attitude. God has called us to be humble. God has called us to consider the needs of others before our own. He has called us to surrender our rights so that someone else may have the opportunity and the platform to first hear and respond to the gospel, but even then to serve them, to love them. Secondly, he's called us to a place of proper relationship. As we serve alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we unify, we are unified and, and put into a similar direction based upon the mission of God. It's not like herding cats in here, right? Um, there's a lot of churches that are doing a lot of things, and a lot of people in this room will work doing various capacities of ministry. However, when we are focused on the one mission of Jesus Christ, we are unified in that mission. So if you think in terms of the body, you have some who may be better at evangelism. You may have some who may be better in the way of generosity. You may have some who are better in the way of rocking babies. 
Uh, you may have some who are better in the way of one-on-one discipleship, but God doesn't waste any of those things. He's called all of us to join in for this purpose. So absolute usefulness is attained through proper relationship with God and with others, through proper attitude and proper service. As Greg comes, I want to close with um, a quote from a a German theologian. He was a pastor. Uh, He was an anti-Nazi dissident um, back in the 1940s named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a number of books, but one of the, the greatest ones that he wrote was called The Cost of Discipleship. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that book had a quote, and it said, When Christ calls a man... He bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, he was working off of this idea of a concept called easy believism. You know, even then in the 1940s, he was looking around and recognizing that we were calling people to surrender their lives to Christ because of the great grace of uh, Jesus Christ, because of the great debt that he had paid, yet they were doing nothing in the way of responding rightly to the gospel. They simply uh, uh, soaked in what was going on, but they never wrung out. And Bonhoeffer is saying, this idea of easy believism is a detriment to the advancement of the gospel and to the growth of the church. It's a detriment to the fulfilling of the mission that God has created us as individuals and as a corporate body. You see, Bonhoeffer wasn't just one of those theologians that wrote stuff and uh, never lived it out. He actually would end up giving his life, and in 1945 he died by execution uh, because of the rumored uh, involvement with a death plot against Adolf Hitler. See, Bonhoeffer gave his life serving Jesus. Not only writing, but living a life of sacrifice, of laying his life down. You see, the words that he spoke about us coming and dying, they weren't just mere words to him. They were an overflow of a life well lived. And so as we consider the words that we have learned about over the course of the last six weeks with with life and the things that we hold so dear in this world being a vanity and nothing but a mist. Let us on the opposite end consider that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That sounds difficult. In fact, it sounds insane in our own economy. That if a person wants to truly live, they come and die. But I can tell you there's no greater joy than laying your life down, than giving control over to the very one who created you and allowing him to shape and to work in your life in such a way that no longer is it all about you, but it's about him. That no longer is it about you, it's about the advancement of his kingdom in your own home and in your neighborhood and in your community and around the world. It's Sean Sunday. I'm not just calling shine people to be living sacrifices. I'm calling us all to consider laying our rights down and asking Jesus, what is it that I'm holding with clenched fists that I simply need to let go so that I can receive your presence and your full favor in my life? 
that I can come to know you in such a deeper way that you can lead me, that you can love me just the way that I am, recognizing that you are working, you are transforming me. I'm grateful that God has, has given us an opportunity to just pause and to think about that for a moment. You know, this week, as I was at summer camp, running around with crazy teenagers, God kept kind of, as I was thinking through the scriptures, God kind of brought this to me. He said, our salvation costs us nothing. Our salvation costs you and I nothing, but it may require everything. The reality is, is that many people in this room and around the world may be called to difficult situations. To stand in their faith for King Jesus. You know, in our context, it might mean wrestling with a difficult barista. But having the opportunity to have a conversation with the person behind us in the name of Jesus. But I think God has called us to a place for us to be willing, to be available, and for us to be obedient. Those are three of the, the best ingre ingredients that I can think about slathering on top of the sacrifice. So what I want to do is, as we close, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to your own life. Many of us in this room are at different places in our walk with Jesus. Uh, many people in this room may have questions about what in the world I'm talking about. Where you are, I want you to just kind of take inventory and consider these strong words that Paul has told us. You know, from God, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Through God, we will continue to be able to lead in this life. And for God, we have been created. Everything that is ours is truly His. So what is our proper response? What is it that we need to lay down at the feet of Jesus today? He's calling us to come. He wants us to worship Him in all of our life, every facet, our minds, our hearts, our actions, our bodies, our souls, so that we can be a good and perfect sacrifice in service of our King. Father, we are grateful. As we look through Scripture, not only in the book of Romans, God, whenever you have called a man to sacrifice, you have also provided it. <laughs> As people in the Old Testament brought animals to the altar, they were bringing animals that you created. Father, we pray that we would be unwilling to bring any sacrifice that cost us nothing. Because, God, it's all yours. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts right now, that we would be honest with where we are. God, if there's things that we have been holding on to, simply out of selfishness or comfort, Father, we pray that you would call us out today. And, God, that you would walk with us as a gentle father that you would walk alongside of us and teach us, that you would, you would remind us of your promises, that you would lead us in, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, Father, that you are a good shepherd and you lead us as sheep. Lord, we just pray in this moment, this sweet opportunity as we worship, that we would just lend ourselves, our hearts and our minds, that we would eliminate distractions, and God, that we would simply listen and respond. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for allowing us to be in your word today. We just ask all these things in your holy name. Amen.